Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Come hang out with me every Friday to catch new weekly true crime episodes. If you're new to Hell No, then there are many episodes to catch up on, such as episode 70, which features three different mysterious hotel deaths from around the world. The first case covered in that episode is a tragic and bizarre who done it. The coroner and detectives almost missed the clues that pointed to the killer. Had it not been for a private detective hired by the deceased man's wife, this case would have had a totally different outcome. I can guarantee you won't guess what police missed. Find this episode and many more at Hell No, a true crime podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Or head on over to Hell No underscore a true crime podcast on Instagram and follow the link in the bio. Thanks for listening and see you there. This podcast covers true crime cases that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Malice and Mocktails, a true crime podcast. And whether you're here for the malice or the mocktails, we're so happy you're here. I am joined by my co-host, Emily, as always. Hello. And um, we are also joined by a special guest, Derek. And um, Derek is the creator of Mocktail Wiz on Instagram, and we're so excited to have him. Um, Welcome, Derek. Yay, thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, If you want, you can um, maybe share just kind of a quick, little intro and then we'll dive into the case and then um, afterwards we can talk more mocktails and stuff. Sure. Hi everyone. I'm Derek aka Mocktail Wiz on Instagram. I do mocktail recipes and mindful mixology tips and tricks and yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. We're so excited to have you and um, I shared a little bit with you, Derek, about this case. Emily, I don't think I gave you anything, so it might be a surprise. Yeah, I know. For you, right? (laughs) Okay. And then two, um, Derek, typically what Emily and I do, um, if it's just the two of us, like one of us will tell the story and the other one just kind of interjects whenever they want to. Um, So you can totally do that if you have a question or if you want to chime in, just sure totally jump in and um i'm gonna apologize now because i live next to a very like busy street we literally live across the street from a water park um so there might be a little bit of uh background noise there so hopefully not a whole lot um okay so today's case um does involve um murder and children unfortunately so if that's not your thing if you don't want to stick around that's totally fine you can skip ahead to the mocktails um so our story takes place in a suburb of los angeles and i'll just jump into my little script here so in the summer of 1967 the neighborhood of watts which is a suburb of los angeles california was in the wake of a series of riots that took place about two years prior in august 1965 
The riots took place over the course of six days in response to a young man named Marquette Fry, age 21 at the time, and he was pulled over for driving while intoxicated. Marquette failed a field sobriety test and resisted arrest, which naturally caused some problems. Yeah. A uh, physical confrontation began and Marquette was struck in the face with a baton by a responding officer. Ouch to the face. Yeah. Oh, um, that hurt. Yeah. That's yeah. Hard. Those batons are really hard. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the seventies, were they were they already made of metal or were they still made of wood in the seventies? They should have been made of metal, right? I did not look into that. Either Sorry. way, metal or wood, that's going to hurt. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um do it. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Onlookers quickly gathered and rumors spread that officers kicked a pregnant woman who was at the scene and a few other allegations of police abuse and brutality. Until the Rodney King riots of 1992, the Watts civil unrest was the worst LA had ever seen. So two years had passed since the Watts riots and the neighborhood was celebrating the annual Watts Summer Festival, which was aimed at showcasing the progress residents had made in the wake of the riots. Okay. The celebratory mood would soon be shattered when the battered and bruised bodies of two little girls were found in a vacant lot in the neighborhood. Oh my gosh. The bodies of Cecilia and Roberta Ann Barilli were found nude and strangled about 25 miles from their Altadena home. Roberta Ann Robin, her nickname was Robin, Barilli was six and Cecilia Barilli was seven at the time. Wow. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. It's really sad. Needless to say. Yeah. So the girls were the daughters of Richard and Rosalie Barilli, and the family moved to the area from Camden, New Jersey in 1959. The couple um, also had two other children, Richard, age eight, and Ruth, age two. And Richard, um, the Richard Sr., worked as a purchasing agent for a computer firm in San Fernando. And um, I'm gonna describe the little girls. Um, so Roberta Robin was about four feet tall with green eyes and curly hair. And her sister Cecilia was about six inches taller than Robin with long dark hair and dark eyes. Their parents described them as inseparable, friendly and full of life. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this one, this one was hard. I mean, I think any child case, well, any case is hard, but children, I think, make it especially just, ugh. They do, because it's a, not even necessarily just the parents and the family of the parents, but it's like the job of the community to protect them, even if you're childless by choice. Like, if somebody's attacking a child, like, you're supposed to stop that. Ugh. I know. So um, on Wednesday, August 9th, Robin and Cecilia were last seen around two o'clock in the afternoon 
playing on their street outside their house at 2698 North McNally Avenue in Altadena. Now, Altadena is about 10 to 12 miles northeast of L.A. Um, in Southern California, just for context. The afternoon passed by and Robin and Cecilia would likely be outside playing until it got dark because that's what we did as kids. I see we, I was not born in the 60s, but I mean, I remember playing outside yeah. until like dinner time. Um, so dinner time rolls around and there's no sign of the girls. Robert Sr. and Rosalie are naturally worried and around 8.30 p.m. they do report their daughter's missing. Mm. The sheriff's department immediately dispatches deputies and newspapers stated that close to 50 officers were involved in the search, which went on all night. Sadly, the bodies of Robin and Cecilia would be found around 7 a.m. the next morning in a weedy vacant lot by a young man on his way to work. Upon seeing the girls, he immediately ran to a neighbor's house, uh, Mrs. Peggy Richards. And um, the young man uh, later told authorities that he, he really didn't know if they were asleep or something else. And Mrs. Richards and her college-aged daughter went to the scene, and I think they could probably tell that the girls were deceased. And she immediately contacted the cops. Good. And they, and they were nude, right? You mentioned. When they, they yeah, were... they were um, nude from the waist down. Oh. Yeah. They, um, so they were, they were found lying face down ne next to each other, so side by side. And when last seen, the girls had both been wearing blue capri pants and blue and white tops. And when they were found, they were still wearing their tops. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, like I said, they were nude from the waist down. Mm -hmm. um, the clothing actually helped positively ID the bodies along with recent photos of the girls. Wow. And it was reported that um, the bodies of Robin and Cecilia exhibited red marks indicative of being beaten or dragged through the brush. Mm -hmm. And one child, I don't know which, but um, she had her knees drawn up to her chest as if she'd been kneeling, I think, before, before oh. she was killed. Um, and scarves were also found around their necks, um, indicating that they had been strangled. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. There were later reports from neighbors of a, quote, weird man with a deep voice and southern accent in the area prior to the children's disappearance. The police also investigated reports that a cemetery caretaker had been seen with a box large enough to hold the bodies of the two girls. I'm not sure. That's a very or, specific size box. Like, that's yeah. That's a very specifically sized box. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know where that came from. Um, maybe people just didn't like the guy, or we're just like, oh, he's a weird old guy. And then, um, are they near but, a cemetery? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, none. Needless to say, none of these leads went anywhere. So um, on October, I'm. Sorry, Sorry, on September 18, 1967, a man named Anthony David Dauntonville was arrested on suspicion of murdering Robin and Cecilia. According to one account, Anthony and a buddy named Everett May 
were out drinking one night and Anthony basically gets drunk and spills the beans. Like he mm. admits to his friend allegedly that he killed the girls. Oh my gosh. And this would end up being a big part of the prosecution. Heck yeah. Case. Heck yeah. He confessed. Good thing the friend told the police about that. Yeah. I was yeah, gonna, well, and I don't know. I was going to ask if it was the friend that told the police or if somebody overheard it and they went to the police. Because I think we've had a case previously oh. where somebody was boasting in a bar to his buddy and somebody else overheard it. And they were like, uh, and they went to the police. Yeah, I can't remember which case that is. But yeah, Either. his friend. Yeah. So it was Anthony's friend. Oh, that good. Good. Went to the cops. Another downside of drinking. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> You're kind of overly honest. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So who is Anthony? Anthony David Donville was born in California in 1933 to Anthony and Loretta Donville. They lived at 1927 North Lake Avenue, also in Altadena, for a time and would later move to a house not far from the Barilli family. Anthony um, Jr. began working for the city of Pasadena as an engineering aide with the Parks Department in 1955. He also served in the U.S. military, according to a newspaper article that I came across in 1956, and I believe it was the U.S. Army. Um, he was listed in the newspaper at the time as a private and had been, the newspaper reported that um, he had been assigned to the Heavy Mortar Company, 23rd Infantry Regiment of the 2nd Infantry Division. And basically the newspaper, it had a, like a whole column of um, updates on men in, the, or men in the military and what they were doing. So that's where that came from. That's actually really nice. I kind of, I like that they were publicizing that. So yeah. we keep track of their friends and neighbors and family. Yeah. I wonder think if about they that. still do that in some way. My brother is actually in the Navy. Oh, cool. Um, so we're a military family too. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be really cool if they if they did something like that. Maybe a Facebook page now. There you go. <laughs> yeah. The official a, Navy Facebook page. You would think. Well, I don't know. I've looked into that. Now I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, okay. So Anthony um, applied for a marriage license in November of 1959 to marry Camille Hopkins. And I found a marriage announcement in the Pasadena Independent from May 1958 for the two. And it mentions that um, Anthony at the time was a graduate of San Gabriel Mission High School and Pierce College, where he majored in landscaping. Hmm. And I did not find really anything else about their marriage. So I don't know if they ever actually got married or if they did if they got divorced don't know well i think if you do the announcement if it's the marriage announcement that would be that would signify that they're married if it was just the engagement announcement then you never know oh it was the so it was the engagement announcement okay um but i did also find that they filed for the license but mm -hmm. i don't know if they ever actually actually did it gotcha you know what i mean yeah maybe they filed for it and just didn't do it i don't know okay on november 20th we're jumping ahead now 
November 20th, 1967, Anthony was tried for the murders of Cecilia and Robin Barilli, and he was charged with first-degree murder and would stand before a jury of 10 women and two men. And the deputy district attorney, Tom Finnerly, was basing the case against Anthony on circumstantial evidence. I mean, technically, because, I mean, they'd been drinking, his buddy could have been drinking, it's 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 not physical evidence, right? Right. Um, however, the jury does find him guilty of first degree murder on November thirtieth, nineteen well, nineteen sixty seven. However, his case ends up being retried on the grounds that his attorney had misrepresented him and may have even been drinking on the job. No! Another drinker in the picture. Oh my god. Yes. That, was that the only evidence that they had at the time to mm-hmm. convict him? Yeah. Oh, actually, um, I think there was um, hairs that were also found. Um, I don't remember where they were found, but that ended up, they had a quote unquote, like a specialist at the time examining the hair and the specialist said that the hairs didn't match his or the Barilli sisters, I don't think. Oh my gosh. Okay. And honestly, I, and I should have put that in my notes. I, I can't remember if it was um, hair that they found on the girls or like in his vehicle, but that was, it was basically thrown out because they doesn't seem relevant. Or like they don't match. Yeah. yeah. Like if it was hair on the girls, yeah, that'd be relevant. But if it was in, his in the car yeah. and it wasn't the girls, yeah. yeah yeah so cr- truly like from what i understood at least from the newspapers is that they were basing this like almost solely on the testimony mm-hmm. of the friend everett oh, and i think too um i read a few accounts where anthony's um supervisor at the parks that the the city had said that like he had um been you know like running like late to work not turning stuff in Mm. recently i think he might have been drinking on the job um so they were they were potentially going to let him go anyway um and that was recent so i could speculate all day yeah change of behavior usually indicates some kind of something's going on if it's stress Mm -hmm. yeah it could have just yeah drinking due to the lack of marriage not happening but yeah i wonder if they're they they looked at you know prints on the bodies of the girls or you know some if if they were if they were molested right normally there's gonna be bodily fluids so i i didn't find anything when i looked it up it was a little like so not sure what happened with the investigation and kind of like if it's hinging on that one testimony it's kind of like a weak kind of like a weak um hook yes yeah and even with with the information that i guess they presented i'm kind of surprised that they found him guilty Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, did you not have any kind of alibi for his whereabouts when mm, the girl was missing i yeah Mm -hmm. i don't remember I don't remember reading anything. I, he may not have, or it was just or he not. Was alone by himself in his house, and nobody could maybe corroborate. Yeah. But the interesting thing I haven't heard before is that you know they 
he had a retrial because of the 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 attor his attorney not being able to give him a good defense because he might have been drinking. <laughs> I've not yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, I I haven't either. Um, and so that happens. So he is. Um, uh, the judge does grant the new trial, and Anthony obtains new counsel. Thank goodness. Okay. And uh, and yeah, so he he now is going to be retried for the same case. And because of it, basically it was, um, even though he was found guilty because they're having a retrial, I don't think double jeopardy uh, applies here okay. because it's basically we're doing it, doing the trial over okay. instead of in his favor because of yeah. a mistrial. Right. Yeah. Okay. And when that happens, is it usually a new set of juries? I think so. Yeah. I would think it would have to be yeah, to be fair. They already, yeah, like, they already uh, made their decision. Bit, yeah. yeah, his so Anthony's new trial takes place in April of 1968, so several months following mm -hmm. the previous one, and it lasts about a month. And the jury spends about 20 hours deliberating this time. And like I said, same thing. Um, the prosecution bases much of their case on testimony from Everett May, the friend, and a few eyewitnesses that claimed to have seen Anthony in the neighborhood and even in a truck with the two girls mm. at the time. Now, I don't know if these eyewitnesses were in the previous case, to be honest. Um, but on April 19th, 1968, well, actually, you know what? Hang on a second. I did find that um, there was a, there was something that said that there was no evidence concerning the instant charge, the first one mm -hmm. that was presented at the second murder trial. So I'm guessing oh. that the eyewitness came up in the second one, but not the first is my guess. That that's yeah, that makes sense. Or that's how I interpret that too. That mm. seems sketchy though, that the eyewitnesses didn't come forward during the first case what they did during the second that seems suspicious like either a false memory or just people lying yeah yeah oh, uh, i mean or they didn't they weren't comfortable that could be true they were afraid opposite side they were afraid and now that he's coming out they're like no 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 they're like we can't put him back in let it, it. yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. So I said it lasted about a month, but my date on here is about 20 days. So we'll say a, about a, a month or anyway, um, either way, what I found was that on April 19th, the jury returns with a verdict of not guilty. And however, the Los Angeles Superior Court judge, Mark Brandler, commits Anthony to the custody of the sheriff to be examined by a psychiatrist. After the verdict of not guilty. Not Correct. Not why, why wouldn't they do that before finding the verdict? Why That's a good question, Emily. Is backwards. Yeah, I agree. I okay. Agree. And usually so it's, what is it's the... handled differently, right? If you're, if you're not I... mentally sane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they want to make sure that you're a able to stand yeah. trial uh -huh. and 
yeah, that's, I think that's the biggest part. And then going from there, then if you're not, like, if you're, if you're not fit to stand trial, then they're like, okay, we need to figure out what to do with you. Right. Because if you get the guilty, if you get a guilty verdict, like if you're not fit to stand trial, you probably don't need to be in prison. You probably need to be taken care of in mental some kind of facility. mental facility. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's see. Okay. So additionally, um, Judge Brandler orders a psychiatric court to hold a hearing following the exam to determine if Anthony is in fact mentally ill. And two psychiatrists um, would examine him and they end up testifying in front of a judge that Anthony was in fact sane and not suffering from any mental illness. He is, however, promptly released from prison and was gonna, had, gonna head back into his life. Mm -hmm. So However, many questions there. I know. <laughs> like the, so if it, if it was just the testimony of the friend, I agree that's kind of weak evidence, mm -hmm. right? Because they were drinking there in a bar, sure. But with the eyewitnesses, like I wonder what happened there. If there was, if there were eyewitnesses saying that I've seen this guy with the two girls in a truck, I wonder how, like, what happened there for the for the jury to say, nope, not guilty. I didn't find anything related yeah. to that, unfortunately. The only thing I can think is that under cross-examination, the defense may have just like torn apart their ability. Yeah. Wow. Because that's like, Emily, you were saying um, like false memory. Right. Because like you can, you could think that, oh yeah, I did in fact see this person, but it's like, did you? Sure. Maybe the, the time that like from from the it, incident to yeah. the second trial that could be a factor too yeah because this happened in july and then he it's oh. almost been what a, not even a year but it's been a long amount of time wow 10 months yeah i was like counting 10 months yeah oh my gosh no you can't count on eyewitness testimony yeah. for that that wasn't yeah. there during the first trial because I don't know what I had for breakfast 10 months ago. <laughs> like, I'm not going to remember seeing two random kids in a truck with a random yeah. dude I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, there are certain things that will, like, probably be forever burned into your memory, but... Yeah, yeah. Certain, I mean, but... stuff like... Yeah. yeah. If it's something suspicious, I don't think I would remember either. I would want to remember, because it's like, then you're suggesting, like, oh, did you see this man? Well, maybe... I don't know. And, and honestly, if, if I was if, if I was the eyewitness and the first murder trial came up, like I would have come forward then. Because mm -hmm. then, it, you know, if, if I'm like, oh, I remember that guy with the two girls. Like, why right. wait until the second one? I guess uh, you mentioned that they could be, you know, scared or afraid. But like, personally, if, if especially memory, you can't rely on memory, you know? Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So this is not the last we will see of Anthony. So only five days after he is acquitted of the murders of Robin and Cecilia, he is rearrested on charges of molesting a six-year-old girl back on July 31st, 1967. Yep. And this so this, 
that, okay, so the murders happened in August of 1967. So this is just a few, like, days before the murder. Mm -hmm. Emily, you look confused. I'm, okay, so (laughs) they didn't come forward back in July of his molestation, but now that he's released, somebody comes forward and is like, nah, he 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 molested my kid too. Basically, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I found uh, something that was saying, it, you know, they didn't come forward because maybe he's already, you know, being tried for this murder, and if, it, yes. if he gets convicted, then their claim might be futile. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, but I, I don't know. I think there was a decision, right, Katie, for, that they didn't include this evidence because it didn't seem like I, I can't remember what I read, but I think they tried to to put this as an evidence as part of that other trial. Did you find that too? I yeah, I remember, and I should have um, put that in my notes, but yeah, I remember reading that. Um, but I think, like to your point, Derek. Um, I think that's exactly what they were they were afraid of is that not afraid of but they um they the i think the prosecution decided not to include it because of that very thing like he's already on charges for murder um so like it's not i don't think they really thought it might be relevant to the case um oh and i I remember now they say they're saying that um they're they're trying to of they're, they're trying to be careful to not, you know, commit court error because this might cause prejudicial publicity in connection with a murder trial. Ah, uh, yeah. So they're, they're trying to, yeah, separate the two. Dang. I, I would think that you would want to add as many charges as possible because, like, look, not only did he murder these two not only did he potentially murder these two girls, but he definitely molested this little girl. So it doesn't, you don't, you don't go far from molesting one to molesting and murdering two. Like that's just a hop, skip and a jump. Uh, I mean, potentially. Um, but I mean, in this case, he was found not guilty so they can still try him for this one well, and not face case. double jeopardy. Um, yeah. Okay. So they've at least got that. So they arrested him. They arrest him. Um, and again, keep in mind, this is the same year he was arrested and charged with the, the murder, 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's back up just a little bit. So here's here's what happened on the 31st of July. Um, at approximately 11 a.m., Mrs. Audrey Hopper went to Lake, Lake Park in L.A. County with her four kids and actually, no, I'm sorry, her six kids. Mm-hmm. Um there was Danny, age 11, Glenn, 10, Mark, 8, Raymond, 8, Kelly, 7, and Curtis, 4. Mrs. Hopper took a seat on the grass with her youngest son, Curtis, and the five other kids went off to play in the park. According to the children's testimony, a man approached them and asked if they would help him find his dog. Of course. Stranger oh. danger. Yep. I have a puppy. I lost it. Can you come help me? <laughs> Yes. The the man offers a 50 cent reward 
and Emily in 1967, that's about $4.50. Good Lord. So to a, like an eight-year-old, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You're going to be rich if you have that. Yeah. <laughs> they can buy all the candies. I know. So this man asks Danny, Glenn, and Mark to go in one direction, and he said he would take Kelly and Raymond in the other. The man took the two younger kids by the wrists and walked quick, I'm sorry, walked quite a ways from them before leaving Raymond by a tree, telling him to stay there. He then takes Kelly to a more secluded area where he knelt in front of her, placed his hand inside her pants and began just like rubbing her skin. Ew. He then took her to a tree and told her to wait there while he walked off. Little Raymond, meanwhile, had run back to Mrs. Hopper to tell her what the heck is going on. Good. And she immediately calls the cops. The older children that were with Kelly initially went to go look for her and they found her hiding in some bushes crying. And Kelly um, told her mom and the police that a man had put his hand inside her pants and rubbed her stomach. On September 28th, 1967, Glenn, Raymond, Mark, and Kelly actually identified Anthony's picture as being the man they saw in the park. And all five children identify him at the trial. And then he is officially charged and goes to trial in the fall of 1968 for the molestation charges. Good. On November 1st, 1968, Anthony is found guilty of child molestation in this separate case. And the judge orders another psychiatric examination. Anthony's attorney, Charles Hollipeter, immediately moves for a new trial. Not really sure on what grounds, but the judge, um, Howard McLean, set a hearing for November 27th on that motion. Just, okay, we'll give you, we'll, so we'll, we will have a hearing to determine if we're going to grant you a new trial. Mm. So Judge McLean hears and denies the plea. Um, his uh, attorney, Hollipeter, also asked to have Anthony's sentence reduced from a felony to a misdemeanor. And this is gross, but a newspaper reportedly quotes Hollipeter describing the nature of the crime against little Kelly as, quote, slight and piddling. <gasps> hang, hang on, no. there's an ambulance coming. No, ew! And Send that lawyer to jail! Piddling. Yeah. I had to Google what that meant. It's not trivial. <laughs> no. <laughs> no! A grown man sticking his hand down a child's pants to... Sticking his hand down a child's pants not to help change them or to help them with, like, a clothing error. Anything besides that, uh... Yeah. No, you go to jail. Do and not pass go. And a child Do that you don't know. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a child that is not yours, that is not well even well, you know, most most crimes we've found most most crimes are committed by family family or friends. Mm -hmm. So so unless you're putting your hand down a child's pants to help them with a clothing error or to check their diaper to see if it needs to be changed or something like that, you probably need to go to jail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, to me, he's basically trying to downplay the crime. Gross. And that's bullshit. Yeah. 
lawyer That's, goes to jail too. It's disgusting. Yeah. And, and I've, I've heard of people who, this is a contact offense. You know, there was physical contact with a kid and I've, I've heard of other cases where there's no contact, but got, you know, uh, like looking at, you know, lewd images mm -hmm. on, in, in the internets, for example, that oh, received yeah. greater punishment. And then this one, he physically touched a kid that he doesn't know and he wants this to be a misdemeanor. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's going to set a precedent and just yeah. hit the whole bunch of dominoes. Oh yeah. No. And like, from what I understand, the difference, at least now in the 21st century, the difference between a felony and misdemeanor in California is the length of the sentence. So whether he's trying to downplay the crime or just get his client a lesser sentence, mm. eh, it's still gross to me. Yeah, super gross. Yeah. Um, so Anthony would undergo evaluation again. And if he's found to be sane, he could face up to 15 years in prison. Judge McLean remands him to the Atascadero State Hospital for evaluation and treatment for 90 days. On February 20th, 1968, it was reported that Anthony is not amenable to treatment, meaning treatment is not going to help him. Mm -hmm. And Judge McLean could now rule one way or the other whether Anthony is what was called at the time a mentally disordered sex offender oh. and could also commit him to the Department of Mental Hygiene for custody mm. um, or... He could rule him as not a mentally disordered sex offender and sentence him to prison. What is um, the mental hygiene? Um, I'm going to assume it is there like an equivalent to a state hospital. A I think. Medical like facility. A, yeah. I have to look that up. That sounds like it is not a good place to go. That sounds like a place that you'd rather go to prison. I have to, I have to look this up. Okay. Oh. But continue on. I'm going I'm, I'm okay. to look that up. That you you look that up. So on March 5th, um, I guess we're in 1969. No, 68 still. Dang, sorry. I don't know my months, apparently. Um, so on March 5th, um, Judge McLean denies Hall of Peter's appeal and sentences Anthony to prison. Mm. Now, unfortunately, I could not find... Um, in the, that document um, that I shared with you, Derek, mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out like how long he was actually sentenced. Yeah, I didn't um, but according to one of the newspapers, um, it could be, he could get one year to life for crimes against children. I, I don't think one year is long enough. I feel like life is where he needs to go. I think, yeah. I think life is where it needs to go. Yeah, but that's but that's just me. Did you figure out what the Department um, of Mental Hygiene is? No, I hope it's not just a therapy. I don't <laughs> I believe it. I don't believe it exists anymore. Mm. Um, I bet it's, it was their like state hospital at yeah. the time. I I think it would be because now it's the Department of Mental Health and the Department of um, other, other. Uh, I mean, unless it was maybe like a division 
within the Atascadero State Hospital, right. maybe? It and it and it might have been. It might have been. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not finding. Oh yeah, they reorganized it in 1972. Okay. So they reorganized it. Reorganized it right after this happened. Okay. Um, and renamed and all of that stuff. So yeah, just mental health state mental health services. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm angry because the Barilli sisters didn't I don't think they ever got any justice. Wow. Because we don't know if he actually did that or if it was somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I I couldn't find how long the the sentence was for for the molestation case. But yeah, but if 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 that was him who did the the murder of the Barilli sisters, then at least there's some justice that they got. But yeah, we don't know. We don't know if he did it, and so that I don't know. It's unfortunate, and there's I didn't find a lot of information about the Barilli sisters either. So it, it's unfortunate that that's still unsolved. In, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And I think, I mean, with any other kind of cold case, in a sense, that's that old. I mean, it's not that old, but um, old enough where, like, I mean, obviously any physical evidence is gone. Like, yeah. I think you'd have to have that to to solve this one. Yeah. Or if you, you know, I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts where you might find, like, a random, like, old journal that right. somebody, if they did it and they were, you know, writing in it, mm. you know, oh, my grandpa found this in my grandpa's stuff and they confessed but well maybe it's really maybe, sad maybe the police still have the scarves that were around oh the yeah box. and maybe if the killer wasn't wearing gloves maybe there are fingerprints yeah on the scarves but that's such a long shot because you'd have to get the scarves and yeah to get the fingerprinting and you know or comb it for additional dna who knows? And then you'd have to hope that uh, that that DNA or those fingerprints are in the system, which yeah. they not necessarily are unless that person either already has a record or has like a Twit card or what have you. Yeah. Well, there have been cases where the authorities um, utilize the like ancestry and mm -hmm. those like they'll do. Um, instead of finding the, like, they'll go through the family tree, basically, mm -hmm. and try, and if they're able to match somebody from the family tree, they go to that person and be like, hey, are you real? It's, it's seems very interesting to me that they're able to do that. Yeah. And if I, I was telling Katie at the beginning, before we recorded that I was watching the, the Boston Marathon bomber series on Netflix, and I found out that, um, I guess my biometrics are in, in the records too because I I moved here with a visa so there's like one step in, in the visa it was a requirement to do biometrics so oh, wow. they, they because the for, for that case they found it in the in the I guess you know um, immigration records that's how they found the match I think so wow so wow. they could run it against that too so I'm like oh my biometrics is <laughs> It's there. So, wow. 
Yeah. So that's another database, I guess, that they could find a match. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, wow. And Katie, were you going to talk about the one of the defense from from Anthony about the like why he was pinned to this the the photographic identification versus an actual lineup? Oh, um, that is not in my notes. But if you wanna, yeah. if you, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you read the thing, like, yeah, let yeah. me tell me, tell us. <laughs> that, that was interesting because I didn't know this because uh, so his defense was uh, he need. He needed counsel if the kids were going to do the identification. But apparently, you only need counsel if you're in an actual lineup, but not when you're in a photo, photographic lineup. And that's what happened was they, they asked a kid, the kids individually. This is for the molestation case. They mm -hmm. asked the kids individually to, and then they presented uh, several photographs and helped identify who the man was and I believe three of them um, pinpointed him in the first lineup. And then, uh, so basically they squashed that because they said, well, you only need counsel if it's uh, an actual lineup. And since you're in custody, also you have counsel. <laughs> I don't know if that's, um, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I don't understand the whole of it. But what I found interesting was there was another sibling, Glenn, who couldn't pick him up in the first lineup so they they gave him a second set of lineup for of photographs that are full body pictures and and oh. glenn was able to pinpoint the guy on the second lineup and then so when they presented the first lineup again then he was able to pick the same guy which is anthony in this in the first lineup and the the, the article was saying that this is very strong evidence because unlike the other kids he didn't recognize the guy in the first one, but the second one with the stature and height and everything, he mm -hmm. was able to pinpoint it and then go back and say, yeah, this is that guy. Um, and he also mm -hmm. argued that the the kids were all saying that it's a man with a mustache with a gap. And he was saying that I was the only one with a mustache with a gap in the lineup. But they were saying, no, there was like all the others had or, or most there are some with mustache mustaches with like a slight gap um but the fact that the other kid glenn pinpointed him in the second lineup uh, presents itself as a strong evidence uh to so that i think that's one of the interesting things that i found i'm really glad you brought that up because i because i remember having that question earlier if the kids were all together when they saw the picture or if they were separate because if they're together then they're going to be like one of them is going to say that one and then all the others yeah. are going to pile yeah. on it but mm -hmm. if they were separate and they picked separate. them out yeah done. and they're also asked not to talk about it to their siblings mm -hmm. so it was mm -hmm. and then also the mom said because there was a trial for the murder that was already happening right so the mom said that they had not seen pictures of the guy or any publicity during the murder trial and wow. And then they, they were called separately individually to identify the guy in the picture. And they were, they say, they said that the three or two were quick to choose the guy in the picture. Like they didn't take a long time to identify except for Glenn, the, the, the other kid who found it on the second lineup. I just thought that was interesting. That is, yeah. that's very interesting. I mean, again, memory, mm -hmm. especially yeah. with little kids. Yeah. 
but if all if if they together or separately all pick the same person yeah and they were also they also said that there are other descriptions that the kids mentioned like he he was leaning forward a little bit like a tall a tall guy it was kind of like leaning forward as if if something was wrong with the legs and then like the lower lip is a little skewed um so there were these descriptions that were presented uh, and documented and sent to the jury and kind of comparing this to the man in front of them and it was you know matching the description so aside from the photograph identification they provided other things that they recalled from the incident which is must must have been traumatic to the kids if they can remember that months later yeah Yeah, that's a good point and kids are blunt too like i wouldn't be surprised if they described how he smelled if he smelled weird like they they'll tell you kids kids don't care they don't have filters no they don't so i'm not surprised that they were like yeah his lower lip was weird that's totally like kids will pick up on that they'll be like oh you're weird like what are you that's not normal yep wow that's nuts so he so he did go to prison or did he go to the mental hospital so he According to what I found in the newspapers, um, the judge did sentence him to prison. Awesome. But we don't know for how long. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Is he still alive? Did he? I tried to find, well, I don't know. I can't, I don't think I found him on find a grave. Um, Okay. Doesn't mean that he has not passed away, but... And I've heard that there's uh, prison justice for child molesters. Oh, yes. That prisoners do not do not allow that kind of no, thing. No, they, they do not, uh, don't take kindly to no. child molesters. Yeah. I've, I've heard that the child molesters and the dirty cops get it the worst. They're not about that. Sorry, Jason was telling me um, they're actually, nowadays, they're actually separated from the general population because Child of that. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, but. Uh, I, I struggle because on one hand, I get it. Like, they, they do have to protect the inmates. They do. Um, but at the same time, I mean... You're in there because you did a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You broke the law. Yep. So, anyway, that that's enough uh, solemnness. Let's talk about mocktails. Mocktails. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, awesome. So, Derek, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about how um, Mocktail Wiz came to be? Um, whatever you want to share with us is, is awesome. Sure. So uh, what led me to making mocktails is I wanted a substitute for for cocktails because alcohol is no longer doing anything for me. And so uh, I decided that I need to change my my relationship with alcohol. And I was a, a, I would say a gray area drinker. I didn't have a rock bottom, but it was just not helping with the anxiety. I thought I was depressed, um, but now I look back and 
I know that it's the alcohol that was doing it. And it's, it's not personal, it's chemical, right? They, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so it, you, you get a, 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 like a quick, uh, what do you call that? Like a quick splash of dopamine, mm -hmm. but then your system, your system would want to balance that out and like, you know, depress that. And then that, but unfortunately our body does that automatically. And, and then the depressive factor stay longer. And so I thought I was depressed. I thought it was grief. And that's some, a big factor that I like to talk about too, is, uh, I, I was moderating for the longest time and I, I was fine with it. And until my, my, I lost my mom. And that's when things got harder to like the moderation got harder yes. and I went through um, a phase that is, I think technically is the technical term is effort phase. Uh, I've heard that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, it. I lost my mom. So I'm just going to drink. It's so suddenly the moderation was harder. And also like, I didn't care anymore. Like yeah. the, and my limits were high. It's like three drinks a day um, when I drink and then only like four days in a week, which again is high. But in my head, it makes it made sense. Like, oh, it, it takes 15 drinks a week to be considered a heavy drinker. So I'll be at 12. So three times four. This makes sense, right? You justify yeah. this. And, yeah. But no, if, I get we're, it. if we're being honest, those were heavy pours. So a drink is probably like, two serving so technically it's more like 24 but again f it i lost my mom i deserve this you know so right so that's when it started like and the days leading up to my mom's death anniversary were the hardest because mm -hmm. uh it, it's june 4th when we lost her in 2020 the middle of the pandemic right oh um, luckily and she she was in the philippines and Luckily, we were able to go home and, you know, had to deal with quarantine and stuff like that. But at least we were able to be there. Yeah, for her. Um, but then, you know, we, we came back to the States and um, the drinking started changing. And um, again, the days leading up to it is like May 14th is her birthday. Sometimes that's also Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And I found that Mother's Day was the hardest because... I thought it was going to be Christmas, but then you're surrounded and you're celebrating the same thing. It's Christmas. Yeah. So I thought that was it, but no, it wasn't. I thought it was my birthday because my mom's not here anymore, but people were celebrating me. So I was like, oh, okay, it's not so hard. But then Mother's Day, the first one, we went to a restaurant and everybody's celebrating their moms. And my sister, were like, yeah. just, I think we've come to a point where we just cry out in public. Um, so anyway, so I thought that was the hardest. So it was... And, and the reason I say this is because the days leading up to it, so birthday, Mother's Day, and then death anniversary, is just, so the drinking is over the top during that time. So the, the reason I say this is because it's so relevant to my sobriety date. Uh, so my mom's death anniversary is June 4th, uh, mm -hmm. and then that was a Saturday. And so June 5th, still a weekend, so I was like, sure i'll keep drinking yeah. um and then monday came and i really had to stop i told myself uh okay so you don't have any reasons anymore the the, the heavy hard date was, is now over so you need to at least go back to moderating and so that was june 6th and that's my 
alcohol-free date. Um, and I started out with, that's a Monday. Uh, and even if I went back to moderating, Monday was a non-drinking day for me. So I didn't drink. I started listening to the book, This Naked Mind. Mm-hmm. And um, just because I, I, I couldn't willpower through it anymore. And I heard good things about the book. And I was very skeptical. I've heard a lot of people say they stopped drinking after listening to the book. And so, of course, I assumed this is not going to happen for me, but I will listen to it. And but I like the the first part and it was an audible um, and in the first part, I could relate with everything that she said, waking up at three o'clock and then just spiraling down the shame spiral and things like Mm. that. And so I kept listening. And then Tuesday was a drinking day because it's date night and date night you drink and so but for some reasons i didn't drink that day and that was so empowering because i was like i allowed myself to drink but i didn't drink i can do this i think and so i i did that throughout the week and then when the time saturday came that's when i do my meal prep and when i cook i drink i like drinking when i cook um and sometimes i would do like three dishes because it's for the entire week and Mm -hmm. And drinking was my friend um, when, is when, when, when I cook. And so that's when the mocktail started. Um, I needed something to replace it. I decided I'm not going to drink that day. And I replaced it with a spicy margarita. And this is not using uh, any alternatives, alcohol alternatives. It's just jalapeno, pineapple juice, um, the, the tahini rim. Because oh, yeah. I needed something to replace the heat from the alcohol and I thought wow this is good and and that's when it got like I everything made sense that day because I loved I love mixology I took a class before and with like real cocktail mixology and so I thought that when when I made the decision that I wasn't going to drink anymore I actually was sad because then I won't be able to do mixology anymore I thought um it was this is so um petty but another reason that i was sad was because i i just bought this nice little bar cabinet from crate and barrel it was like i i had one splurge in the house and that was it and i was like mm, i need to repurpose this now oh no um, but no and, that, and then i discovered the week after about the alcohol alternative i've tried a few alternatives before but I guess because I did, I had a different mindset. I was expecting alcohol tasting alternatives, mm. which, you know, when you're not drinking it, the mindset changes uh, because, you know, so I, I, I found a new appreciation for the alternatives. And the first thing that I, I, that, that made sense to me was the ritual tequila. I added that to my spicy marg and it made a whole lot of difference. I'm like, I can kind of taste the tequila here. It's awesome. So and then a few weeks later, I posted a reel on Instagram. I was, you know, I'm an elder millennial. And I was like, what's this reels thing that the kids do these days? Let me try it out. Um, and so I posted the first video on my personal page. And it was, it was normal. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of followers. Um, and then I posted another one. And my sister was like, oh, this is blowing up. I'm like, what do you mean? And then I, I looked it up and it was like thousands of views, hundreds of likes. I was like, wow. Oh, so people also like mocktails. I thought it was just, you know, me. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so if, 
people like mocktail recipes, maybe I'll share the drinks that I make for myself when I'm cooking. Maybe I'll share the recipe uh, on Instagram. And that's when I created Mocktail Wiz. That was actually this week, last Wednesday, was the one-year anniversary of the page. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So we're having this chat because it's so it's so nice it's so nice it's been a year but it's it just went by so quickly wow well happy anniversary thank you thank you yeah wow so So that whole first week you allowed yourself on tuesday to drink but you chose not to correct yeah wow and that and you didn't drink that whole first week i didn't drink so the wow and then what happened was monday turned out to uh, or sunday before that turned out to be the last day i drank um so yeah wow. and and i even i don't know something just clicked i guess with the book and also i was um uh, using reframe the reframe app um which has daily tasks and motivations and then there's a community aspect uh science explanations about alcohol and things like that and they also have had they have zoom meetings too and for some oh, reasons tuesday it was a it was lunchtime and i went the, i i joined the zoom call and somehow i decided to share and this is wow like second day alcohol free <laughs> who is he you know but i was like uh this is so inspiring that i i, I feel like i'm called to share uh, i shared about my grief um, because that was one one of the reasons I drank and and just I shared I'm like it's my second day I don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> but, but I'm happy I'm thankful for the zoom call and then that kind of gave me the confidence to not drink that day I was like well I shared about this this morning so um, <laughs> but yeah and then the book really helped uh, debunk all the the myths that we have about alcohol and um, now I don't desire alcohol anymore. Uh, doesn't mean I don't like pretty and yummy drinks. So hence yeah. the mocktailing. But um, yeah, it was. It's not willpower. Uh, it's you know I, I don't want to put poison in my body anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that one time, so my go-to drink to order when they don't have a mocktail menu is a virgin mojito. Ooh. because it's delicious right it's mint it's refreshing and so yeah. what this is in sober october i remember very clearly i ordered a virgin mojito and they wrote it as v mojito and then i took one sip of it and knew there was alcohol in it oh. and apparently they took v as in vodka oh. of virgin <laughs> oh but i was i was kind of proud of my reaction because instead of like well, I already took a sip. Let's finish this. <laughs> but my reaction was, ew, like my body is so clean of alcohol. And now I had a sip. I'm like, get this out. You know, I'm like so disgusted by it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the beginnings of, of Mocktail Wiz. And since then, I think I've, uh, and it's also one thing that I found when I stopped drinking is the creativity that that was always there. Uh, but was being, you know, pushed back by alcohol, came back. Um, and my brother made this comment that what you're doing at your mocktail with thing is a combination of all your different hobbies that they've seen I dabbled in over the years, like photography, video, editing, 
um, and then mixology. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I guess I had all these ideas before, but when you drink, you just sit and drink and watch TV. And mm-hmm. and even though I, I, I may have had these ideas, but there's no follow through usually because, you know, I'm tipsy already. So. Wow. That's so good that, that all of your creative outlets kind of came together in one. Yeah. And it's funny too, during the first few weeks of Mocktail Wiz, I couldn't sleep because I had tons of recipes in mind. Like I have a, uh, my note that's just called Mocktail Recipes. It's like a long scroll because I would be trying to sleep and then I, oh yeah, watermelon and tahini. That's a good combo. I need to make a margarita. So <laughs> I write it down and then, and then my favorite's Negroni, but how do I convert that into an alcoholic version? So it was, I couldn't sleep. There was just a ton of ideas and, and it's like, it's also kind of dangerous because you're always around things that would remind you of alcohol, but mm-hmm. it wasn't bothering me. And, and I know that mocktails are not for everyone. So to some, this could be triggering. So mm-hmm. um, if it is, then, you know, find something that works for you. But for me, I just enjoy the art of mixology. And because I, I, I told this, I told um, another person this, that you're already breaking the rules of mixology, kind of, because you're not using alcohol. So, you know, just have fun with it and just do whatever you like. And it's, it's like you already broke the rules anyway, so. That's so cool. That's such a, I really, I'm really glad that you're here with us sharing your story. That's Thank so, you. That's so awesome. I love that. Sorry. I was on mute because there was a lot of background noise. So I didn't want to overwhelm everybody. Um, yes, I, um, I've read this naked mind as well. And it, it, that one really also resonated with me. I think, um, mainly because like I, same with willpower. Like I knew that I had it inside of me somewhere Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. not like, I don't have to drink anymore, but I think I like how she explained the actual like biological Mm -hmm. and neurological reasons. Yeah. Like once, as soon as we take a drink, like what it does inside the body and, um, and just, yeah, that, that resonated with me. Cause like I could, Mm -hmm. it was just easier to kind of comprehend like, Oh, yeah. If I do this, it's going to affect me this way. Yep. Yep. And, and it's still true, right? Because you still get that like euphoric feeling when you drink, but it lasts 20 minutes. And so right. that's uh, in the beginning when I get tempted, you know, like a hard thing comes up, like you want to escape or like a grief wave comes in and you mm-hmm. want to escape. But you're, I remind myself, okay, you'll probably be able to get that euphoric feeling for like 20 minutes but it's not going to be worth it because after that then you'll wake up at three o'clock and in the morning the shame and then you're back at it so it's just not worth it for me yeah 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 and also like one of the things i wanted to share is that you know uh, i think AA works for for some people for a lot of people actually i have friends in AA and i've been to nice vibrant meetings that are not what you see in the movies. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they think, think AA is a dark room, like a basement of a church yes. or something. Yes. But there are vibrant ones. Like I've been to a gay meeting and it's just lovely people. Um, and, but it's just that when I've been in those meetings, um, I find them very inspirational, the recovery piece. 
but I just their stories were not my stories. You know, I didn't have a like at least the ones that I've heard. Like I don't have any DUI or um, don't have a lot of wreckage. But I guess my message okay. is you don't have to have a rock bottom to stop drinking. You can just stop. You know, um, mm -hmm. because for for a time I used that as a reason to keep drinking. Like oh, <laughs> I'm not so bad like, com compared to what I'm hearing. So I guess I don't have a problem. So I don't need to stop and just so I just kept drinking, but. I guess what I learned is there are other ways to stop drinking now and that you don't have to have a rock bottom to stop. You can just stop whenever you want to. Yeah, yeah. that's really powerful because I feel like a lot of other people probably feel the same. Like, oh, I'm not getting DUIs. I drink safely at home. Who am I hurting? Yeah. Why, why should I stop? It makes me feel good. Yeah. But does it? Does it make you feel good? Yeah. Does it? Exactly. And the moment you look up um, like definitions of uh, what's what does heavy drinking mean? Like how many <laughs> drinks and try to work around it? You know, I'm like, this is a sign like where, well, 15 is heavy drinking. I'll stay within like below it, like 12, you know. <laughs> I so. I really like that you looked it up. You're like, OK, I'm not I'm not a heavy drinker. I'm going to yeah. stay yeah. below that line. Exactly. I like that. And that, that's what you tell your doctor too, right? Like you, you kind of like downplay it in your I'm a moderate drinker. Like, moderate. oh, I don't drink that yeah. often. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Derek, do you have a favorite mocktail? That's probably an unfair question, but or like a go-to or something like that. A favorite yeah. for right now? I, Well, my favorite mocktail that I've ever made is uh, it's, it's a version of what they call the Me Mexican firing squad. Um, I, I made a version of it called fiery squad. Um, it's basically, it's kind of like a margarita. It has tequila, uh, but instead of um, simple syrup or triple sec to make it sweet, you use grenadine. And then you also add uh, aromatic bitters to it and, and lime. And so it's, it's, spicy and then instead of um i also add like a a splash of ginger syrup in it so i like it because it's strong it's not sweet mm -hmm. and it's spicy and and that's kind of like what i like about my the mocktails that i make is i i want something in it that's either spicy or bitter or something that you don't just guzzle it down because if, if I can just guzzle it down, that's kind of like a juice, you know? Uh, so, but I actually made this in celebration of our podcast recording. This is a, um, I was going to say, I thought I saw a fancy glass. I was, was going to wait ask. until the end to take a sip, but I was like, that's inviting. I'm going to take a sip right now. Um, it's a, it's an espresso rum teeny. Um, and I actually made the coffee liqueur myself wow um, yeah it, it, it's something that um it's going to be in the book um that it's going to come out next year yet so i, I wrote a mocktail recipe book called yes, the mocktail please. club plug um, your book thank you uh yeah so this recipe the the recipe on how to create the coffee liqueur that's not alcoholic is in there it's also in my instagram but it's kind of like deep in the <laughs> deep in the grid so if you have patience to you know scroll down you'll find it there but I, I created that because at the time I didn't know that they had like liars had a coffee original 
um, mm-hmm. coffee liqueur. So I, I just made my own because I like espresso martinis and I think it's like a little still, it's, it's still daytime here. So I'm like, it's when, it, when we started, it's 11. So I'm like, I think I'm going to go with a co- uh, coffee, like a espresso martini here. But yeah, that's yeah. my, but my go-to is the Mexican firing squad or my version, the fiery squad. Um, if I'm feeling like mixing things, but sometimes you you don't, you know, sometimes you just want something quick and easy. Yes. Uh, and I've seen that you guys have tried the aperitif from Ritual. Yes. Uh, so one thing that I do with that, I like that because it's bitter, right? It's bitter. It's kind of yes. strong. So yeah. what I do with that is like for an easy thing that is sometimes I'm like after work, I will just put a little bit of the aperitif alternative a squeeze of lime and then ginger beer and that's about it and it's like it's it's spicy it's kind of sweet and also a little bitter so that's one of my go-to for easy mocktail recipes yeah that sounds delicious i'm gonna have to try that mm-hmm. yep um, so when do you have an eta for when your book's coming out so we can go ahead oh, yeah. and fully yeah. plug that Thank you. So the Mocktail Club is coming out spring of 2023. It's already available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Um, and then, but if you search for the Mocktail Club on Amazon, it should come up. Um, it says there that it will be out gen- January 2nd. Um, but yeah, I think the safe thing to say is that coming out spring of 2023. Uh, but yeah, I'm so excited. Um, I did not expect any of this to happen, from, you know, because I was just sharing my recipes and, you know, because if people are wanting adult drinks that are not just juices, I think the spirit alternatives are the way to go if you want to get really close to real adult uh, cocktail drinks that doesn't have alcohol. So I was just doing it mainly for myself because like this, these are the things that I come up with, but somehow it, it got the attention of a publisher. And, and then when they asked me if I wanted to, if I can write the book, um, the, the first question that I asked was, can I use my alternative spirits? Because if not, that would be hard. And, and my, my account take advantage, takes advantage of the alternatives, because again, I think that's what makes it, um, like like a good mocktail, right? Yeah. And and yeah, so I still can't believe that it's happening, but it is happening. <laughs> um, the book is fully written and we're going through rounds of edits and uh, yeah, so it's coming out early next year. And so they can pre-order it now. So I have 75 recipes there and um, we have sections dedicated to um, a single spirit alternative. My goal was if you only have gin alternative, then you have a ton of recipe just using that mm-hmm. as much as possible. I didn't combine different ones because I didn't want to be, you know, asking for too much. And then the ingredients that I, I've used there are ingredients that you can normally buy from grocery stores or online because I wanted to make I wanted to make it easy. And then we well, I also have a section for drinks that do not have spirit alternatives. So I know that in some areas it's not available. So there's something for everyone. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Thank you. 
yeah, they're going to be um, in like very different forms. So like it's going to be a uh, hardcover. Uh, it's like a cute little size that it's going to be perfect for a home bar. Yeah. And then oh, it, I think it's also going to be available on Kindle. Oh, nice. Um, cool. Yeah, but the physical book would be a hardcover one with nice okay. pictures. I, I am not taking the photos myself, but um, the professionals do a great job. I've seen samples and mood boards already, and I'm so excited. Yeah, and it's the, the theme is kind of like like classic speakeasy, you know, art deco vibe, which oh, I, I love. love. It. So I think it will look great in, in, in a home bar. And it's also... Uh, flexible because because I use spirit alternatives. You can swap that with real ones if you want. Maybe just tone yeah. it down, tone it down a little bit because it's gonna be gonna be strong. Um, but but you know, it, it, I, I think it's a very flexible book. Yeah, that is so exciting. I'm, I'm so very... happy for you. That's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Yeah, I said I announced it last Sunday, and I said there that this is probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, and I I really mean that because I was like, I didn't I didn't know I was gonna write this, but here we are. Yeah, and I'm so thankful for it. That is wow. awesome. That is that's am that's incredible. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the thing that I like about it is that I think the non-drinking is becoming more mainstream mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and I like that and I'm not anti-alcohol uh, I'm well I know you know but I'm not like asking people hey stop drinking but I'm, I'm more for more options for, for for people who don't drink that are because usually when you go to restaurants that don't have mocktail menus it's just like water you know <laughs> like soda, water, soda water soda uh, so, yeah so that's what I, I, I like to do is hopefully, you know, it's it's very easy to make a mocktail menu, um, you know, and, and just give people options because not everybody wants to drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Cool. Well, I do have to ask, what is in your espresso martini? Yeah, so it, it contains the coffee liqueur that I that I made. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's a com how I made that is by using, I, I used uh, instant coffee, uh, brewed coffee, um, brown sugar, light corn syrup, because the the coffee liqueur is a little sweet, right? Like Kahlua, that's a little mm -hmm. sweet. So there's like light corn syrup for texture. And then I added a secret ingredient to get the rum flavor. You can dig for it in my Instagram um, or in the book. Uh, and then, so I have the, the coffee liqueur that's not alcoholic. I know that typically you use vodka in in espresso martinis, but I think the rum, the molasses flavor of the the rum alternative, tip, that's typical in dark rum alternatives, goes really well with the coffee. And then I also added um, a little bit of coffee in there, usually espresso or even a cold brew concentrate. And then you dry shake it without ice for you know 20 seconds. That's how you get the foam. And then you add the ice and then shake it again for like 10, 12 seconds and to chill it. And then, so that's why you'll get the, you'll get the foam on top like that. Wow. Yeah. That's so fun. Mm -hmm. That is fun. It looks delicious. Oh my gosh. It's delicious. Well, this has been so fun. I don't have any other questions. Um, 
Emily, do you have any other questions? Can we put all of that in the show notes? Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Can yeah. we put, um, uh, especially that book, because I had never heard of um, The Naked Mind. I had never heard of that. Can we put yeah. that in the show notes? I can. It really helped me. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. That's what worked for me. And I know there are other books, but that right. one well, is the one that resonated. And they also have a podcast. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah, and that that's kind of like my meetings. Like, you know, when I do my walk around the, the community at lunch break, I listen to the stories because I think sharing stories about alcohol-free journey is what helps others. And so, yeah. Awesome. Well, before we go, Derek, do you want to share with our listeners where they can find you and all, all those things? And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, so you can find me uh, on Instagram at mocktailwiz. I also have a TikTok. I'm still figuring out TikTok. Uh, it's also at mocktailwiz. And I have a website called mocktailwiz.com. Uh, I also have a YouTube, uh, but I'm still trying to figure out how to upload shorts there. But mm. uh, so the main thing is Instagram and the, the website is where you would find me. And then again, the my book is coming out early January. It's called The Mocktail Club. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Just search for The Mocktail Club and you'll see the one that's from Derek Santiago there. That's me. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun and we would love to have you back, Derek, if, you, yes, if you're please. interested on yes, being please. on the show Thank again. This, is, this, is, this has been so fun and like researching... I know it, the case that we covered today is so sad, but um, yes. um, but it was lovely to talk to you both. And thank you mm-hmm. for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I guess with that, friends, um, we will say adieu for the day and we will catch you next time. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy our content, share it with a friend and don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Those 100% make our day and bring us joy. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Malice and Mocktails. And don't forget to check out our merch. Find the link in the show notes below or on any of our social media platforms. And until next time, make good choices. Bye. Bye.